a follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to do. You're not going to do them because you have to. You're going to do them because you want to, because you love the Lord, and because you want to grow in your faith for the glory and the honor of His great name. You know, the thought that I had this week is that it never occurred to Jesus that His disciples wouldn't pray. He never dreamed of a day when he would have to beg his disciples to pray. It's a tragedy, but what Pastor Joe said a moment ago is true. And that is that many of us, we can't even give the Lord five minutes of our undivided attention. And that is a tragedy. We need to understand that if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are going to want to grow in our faith. And there are many disciplines we could talk about, but if I were to look at the top four that are absolutely necessary for your growth and your development in the Lord, I would give you these. Number one, every true disciple of Jesus Christ spends time praying and seeking the face of the living God Almighty. Now, they're not necessarily in this order, but this is the first one I give you, is that they pray. They don't just talk to God, they pray. They wait upon the Lord. They seek His face. They take time every day to wait upon the Lord and to develop a sensitivity to the presence of God. The second one I would give you is that every true disciple of Christ spends time in the Word. They read the Bible. They meditate upon the Word of God because they know that that is the primary way that God speaks to their heart. And so they spend time in the Word of God. They pray um, and they read the Word of the living God. They meditate upon the Scriptures and hide it in their heart that they would not sin against God. The third discipline is that every true disciple of Christ attends a local fellowship. And not just on Sunday morning, (laughs) but they develop relationships with those that they attend church with. They serve in that church. They, They become acquainted with those in the body of Christ. Now, you know, you hear people from time to time saying, well, I don't need to go to church to be saved. No, you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to be saved. But I know this, of every saved man or woman, they want to be involved in a local church. Do you know that the Apostle Paul said that the church is the body of Christ? How can I claim love for Christ but ignore church involvement and submission to a local church and to the pastors that God has put over that local church. Every true disciple of Christ is involved actively in a local church. And then the fourth discipline that I would give you is that every true disciple of Christ that I have ever known or met always is a giving individual. They give. They give their tithe and their offering. That's easy. That takes no faith at all. The Bible makes it very clear that we are to tithe both Old and New Testament. Some people say it's not in the New Testament. It is in the New Testament. You need to read your Bible more. The Bible makes it clear that we are to tithe, that we are to give our offerings so that God's word would continue to be preached and would be uh, advanced through the uh, community that is in. But also the giving of our time, of our talents, of our abilities, and the gifts that God has given to us. We want to invest our lives back into the kingdom of God. So those are the four disciplines that I would tell you that I have found true of every growing disciple of Jesus Christ. Think of it in these terms. I read the word of God because I need to know the truth. I need to pray because I need power to keep the truth in my life. I need fellowship of the local church to keep me accountable to the truth. And I need to be giving so that I can advance the truth in the world that I live in, in Jesus' name. To me, those are the four greatest disciplines of the believer. They spend time in the Word to know the truth. They pray continually because they need power from God to do the truth. They need the fellowship of the saints to keep them accountable to that truth. And they need to be giving to advance the truth. And it's that discipline right there, advancing the truth that I kind of want to key in on today because it goes right along with what we're sharing here in the Lord's Prayer. 
So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to go with me to Matthew chapter number 6. This is where we're reading from. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin in a a moment at verse number 8. I want to remind you that for this study only, we are turning back to the original King James Version. This is the old King James. Most of you know that I prefer the new King James myself, but for this we're going back to the old King James, and the reason it's not because we believe it's the greatest translation. It's simply because most people who have committed the Lord's Prayer to memory have done it through the old King James, and that's the most familiar, so we're going back to that. Again, this is Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 8. Jesus is speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, and again, let's pray it together, but say it loud, so loud that the person next to you is uncomfortable, all right? Say it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Give the Lord praise one more time. I love praying that with you. You sounded good today. So far, we have worked through our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Last week is where we covered hallowed be thy name, and we made it very clear that that is not a statement, that is not a declaration of praise, although it is certainly acceptable to praise and worship the Lord while you're praying. That is good. But it's not a declaration of praise. It is not a statement that is being made. It is the first of seven petitions or seven requests that are actually laid out here in the Lord's Prayer. We're not stating, hallowed be thy name. We are praying, Lord, may your name be hallowed. The word hallowed, it means to be elevated, it means to be set apart, it it means to be holy or to be elevated above all else. Um, it, It is to be sanctified, set apart. And when we pray and ask God for His name to be hallowed, we're not just praying abstractly, Lord, somehow may Your name be elevated today. God has entrusted His name to everyone who believes upon Him. We are Christians. Christ has given us His name so that His name may be hallowed in our lives. That in the way we conduct ourselves, in the way we behave, in the way that we speak to one another, in the way that we treat one another, men may see our good works but glorify the Father in heaven. We have to be careful that we are not profaning His name. We have to be careful that we are not taking His name in vain by calling ourselves the children of God and yet living in a way that is inconsistent with the character and the nature of God. That's taking His name in vain. We need to honor the name of the Lord by living a life that represents the character and the nature of the living God that we serve. That's the first request. Now today, we're going to turn our attention to both the second and the third request that we offer up in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are two separate petitions, but we're going to look at them together and you're going to understand why you can't separate them when you pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, as I was studying this throughout this week and really over the last few weeks, there's no way around it. To pray in this manner, to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is 
as treasonous as anything else would be as far as the world's perspective is concerned. It would even be an act of war, an act of aggression for you and I to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Again, as far as the world is concerned, when they hear us pray that way, it is treasonous. It is a declaration of war. And if you do not believe that we are in a war today, folks, you need to wake up and see what's going on all around you because the lines are being clearly drawn today in Jesus' name. And I stand before you and I say, choose this day who you will serve. We are in a spiritual battle. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in essence, we are declaring our defection from the kingdoms of this world to join the kingdom of Almighty God. Yes, I am living in the United States of America, but my citizenship is with God in heavenly places. My loyalty is to His kingdom. And when I pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, I am asking God to overtake the kingdom I am living in and the kingdoms of this world and to have absolute authority in Jesus' mighty name. That is what we pray. Every time we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now that tension has always been there. But I'm going to tell you, it is becoming more defined the longer that we live on this planet. There's a couple of examples that happened just this week. Some of you already know of how this past week in the middle of her concert, Lady Gaga... It just feels funny every time I say that, but Lady Gaga stopped in the middle of her song to call out our Vice President, Mike Pence. Many of you heard she said to Mike Pence, who think, thinks it's acceptable that his wife work at a school that bans LGBTQ, you are wrong. She went on to say, you say we should not discriminate against Christianity. You are the worst representation of what it means to be a Christian. I am a Christian woman, and what I do know about Christianity is that we bear no prejudice and everybody is welcome. So you can take all that disgrace, Mr. Pence, and you can look yourself in the mirror and you'll find it right there. I'm still trying to figure out what that last part meant, but what do you expect from a woman who calls herself Gaga? But (laughs) just an observation. Listen, what you're hearing there is the culture trying to lay siege to Christianity and to recast it in its own image rather than be conformed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Because folks, listen, it is true that the Christian faith is not about prejudice. And it is certainly true that God welcomes all of mankind into His kingdom. But Jesus said there is a very straight and narrow path and it leads to one door. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except through me. And when Jesus was asked to weigh in on marriage and on human sexuality, he said it for all time. He said, from the beginning, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father, will be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh, and what God has joined together, let no man put asunder or let no man tear apart. Lady Gaga, it is not that Mike Pence is, is, is uh, defining Christianity. He is submitting to how Christianity was defined by Jesus Christ, our Lord and our personal Savior. And no one has the right to seize the Word of God and twist it to be what they wanted to say culturally. We are the children of God submitted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, somebody, give God the praise for that if you believe it. We're in the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the United States. Many of you know the New York Senate passed a radical prohibition bill Tuesday that now allows unborn babies to be aborted for basically any reason up to birth. What is misunderstood is that the bill appears to restrict late-term abortion But it adds such a broad health exception for abortions after 24 weeks that really there are no exceptions. 
The exception would allow women to abort unborn babies up to nine months of pregnancy for age, economic, social, or emotional factors rather than biological definition of health that normally comes to mind. In times past, we have said if it is going to endanger the mother, then certainly we understand that a child might have to be terminated. But what they've said is, we're going to open that up, and if right until the day that your child is born, you think you're too young, you're too old, you don't have enough money, you have too much money, you are socially going to be an outcast, or you have emotional pain, then you can systematically have your child slaughtered. On the day that it was going to be born, I'm going to tell you folks, this is why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Can I stand here today and tell you that as long as we remain on this planet, it must be our desire to advance the kingdom of God on this earth and say, come hell or high water, we're going to dig in and we're going to stand for the word of the living God Almighty, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Come on, give God the praise for that. That tension is with us and it's always been with us and it's always going to be with us. Jesus said in Matthew 11 in verse number 12, from the days of John the Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault and the violent men seize it by force, the kingdom of God, as a precious prize. A share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. What Jesus was saying there is that the kingdom of God has always endured the violent assault of a world that is offended by the truth of the kingdom of Almighty God. And they try to execute the prophets, and they try to imprison those who fall Follow the ways of the Lord. And he says that is going to continue. But the violent take it by force. And he's not talking about the church being violent towards the world. He's saying that you got to have a fighting spirit to push through and endure all of the assault that comes against you. It is not going to be easy. The apostles told us in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. If anyone ever told you that it's going to be easy to serve Jesus, they were lying to you. It is through great tribulations that we enter in to the kingdom of God because every day we are onslaughted from family, from friends, the media from Hollywood. Every day they are cursing God and cursing His kingdom. And we have to endure that in Jesus' name. But we have this promise in Matthew 16 and verse 18. And I also say to you, this is Jesus speaking, that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now listen to this. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys have always represented authority. And he is talking about, on this earth, I am authorizing you to bind and loose. He goes on to say, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He is talking about our prayer life. Now, in order for you to understand that completely, you've got to understand exactly what he was saying. In the original language, this is how it would read. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. He wasn't saying, I'm giving you the authority to bind and loose indiscriminately at your own pleasure, whatever you want to do. He's saying, no, I want you to pray, and as I reveal to you what I've already willed to be bound and loosed in heaven, you now are authorized to bind and loose on planet earth. Now you think about that for a moment. God has invited every believer into a secret place, the prayer closet, to be alone with God and cooperate with Him in changing the direction of the earth in Jesus' name. Can I 
I tell you folks, we were not placed here to just be run over and let those sin just pour out on our streets like an empty sewer. We were put here to actually work with God in changing the direction of nations in Jesus' mighty name. Can somebody get excited about that? While we're praying for TV sets and for cars and for longer vacations, God is saying, wake up. I want you to pray for your country. I want you to pray for your neighborhood. I want you to pray that the nation would change direction in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody, give God the praise here. In prayer, we have been given the opportunity to search out the mind of God, to discover by the Holy Spirit His will, and then bind and loose accordingly in our prayer so that His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. The thing that grieves my heart is that all of these social matters that we've been talking about over the last few moments have all happened on our watch. While we point the fingers at the politicians Politicians, the reality is there were enough Christians in this country to have stopped it all, but we fell asleep on the watch. And instead of blaming ourselves, we blame the world. The world is only going in the direction that the world will ever go in, and that is in the direction of sin. When are we as Christians going to rise up and pray and say, No more, not on my watch, in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody, believe that with me. Turn to your neighbor and tell them we can pray. Come on, say it like you mean it. We can pray. Say we better pray. However, <laughs> as exciting and as thrilling as that may be, and I pray that you will take that as a challenge, can I tell you that this all has to start in us? Not with us. It has to start in us. If his kingdom has not first been established in our hearts, then everything else we do in prayer is a waste of time. What good is it if I can bind and loose nations if I haven't even been able to bind evil and loose joyful submission to God's authority in my own heart? You want God to be the king of the United States of America. I'm wondering if he's your king today. It's amazing to me as a pastor, and I've been pastoring now for 23 years here, but 30 years this June I will be in full-time ministry. And it amazes me even to this day the number of men and women who will brag and boast of how rich and robust their prayer life is and how they bind up devils and look at what God has done, you know, because I've been praying and yet they themselves are renegade concerning the faith. They've gone rogue and there is nothing as I look into their life that would even suggest they've submitted themselves to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I don't know about anybody else, but the greatest struggle that I have on a daily basis is with me. I am my own worst nightmare. I am my own worst enemy. Every day, my greatest struggle is submitting to the will of God and crucifying Kurt Kinney. That is my greatest challenge, is every day wrestling with my own will and being submitted to the will of God. Make no mistake about it. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we are saying, Lord, you reign in my heart as king. You have dominion over my life and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Everything that is happening in heaven right now is the will of God. Everyone is submitted to the kingdom authority of Almighty God. And what we're praying is, Lord, may you reign that way in my heart. May I be submitted to you on earth as everyone in heaven is submitted to you right now. Now, I think there's some of the confusion that comes when we think of praying, thy kingdom come, is, 
is that whole phrase. And what does it mean? What does it mean when we say, thy kingdom come? And the reason that that can be so confusing is because many of you know that there are many directions that you can take when it comes to that statement. There are many senses in which we can look at the kingdom of God. First, it could take on the sense of the kingdom of God has come. That the kingdom of God has come. And we know that it has Because Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God when he came the very first time. In fact, in Matthew 4, verse 17, it tells us, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or, it's within your grasp. It's it's within your reach. That's what he was saying there. The kingdom of God is that close to you that all you've got to do is reach out and be a part of it. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 20, Jesus said, But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so Jesus made it very clear that when he came, the kingdom of God came with him. And that's easy to understand because Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So wherever he is, the kingdom is. He was here and that's why he could say, the kingdom has come. The kingdom is within your reach. The kingdom of God is within your grasp because I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords and wherever I am, the kingdom of God is as well. So that's the first sense in which we can think of the kingdom, that the kingdom has come. But secondly, we can think of it in the sense of the kingdom is here, that the kingdom is here presently. That not only is the kingdom come, but the kingdom is here right now. And the place that you see that vividly shown is in Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. It's recorded for us in John chapter 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus and he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus made it very clear that the only ones who are privy to the kingdom of God are those who are born again. Now Nicodemus didn't understand that. He's saying, how do you enter into the womb a second time? I don't understand. What do you mean a second birth? How do you enter into that womb a second time? And Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's a natural birth, And the Spirit, that is a spiritual birth by the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so he makes it very clear that it is only through the power of the Spirit that a man or a woman actually enters into the kingdom of God. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Holy Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus makes it very clear here that as he was the agent inaugurating the kingdom of God, that the Holy Spirit is now the agent of the Godhood that maintains the present kingdom of God within the heart of every believer. Understand that there is a direct connection between the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit. That without the Holy Spirit, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. You cannot see or perceive the kingdom of God. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not of this physical world. It is righteousness. This is eternal. This is internal he's talking about. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking in this world. It is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so he is making it very clear that even though the kingdom came 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked on this earth, the kingdom of God is here presently through the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. But there is still a third sense in which you can look at the kingdom of God coming, and that, of course, would be the kingdom is yet to come. The kingdom is coming. And we know as believers that that is talking about when Jesus returns again. And how many of you believe 
that Jesus is coming again. The Bible makes it very clear that he is coming again. But this is specifically when Jesus returns visibly and physically to the earth. He will touch his foot upon the Mount of Olives. It will split open that valley. And then he will establish his earthly reign upon the earth there in a new Jerusalem. And for 1,000 years it will be unprecedented peace that will then be brought about by the final judgment of the wicked dead and then at that judgment God will destroy the present heavens and the present earth and he will create a new heaven and a new earth wherein will dwell righteousness forever and forever. That is really a snapshot of the end times. We know that Christ is coming again. And one of those scriptures is 11, uh, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15 that says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and forever. No one is going to vote Him out. There's not going to be a, another election four years later. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords forever and forever and every Everybody said amen and amen. So these are the three senses in which you can think of the kingdom of God. So the question is, what did Christ have in mind when he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come? What was the primary thought on his mind? Well, we know it wasn't the first one because that's already been fulfilled. Jesus has come. He has brought the kingdom with him. It's not that first one. It could be the third one, and certainly there are allusions to that in Scripture, that we are to pray for the future kingdom of God to come. Revelation 22 and verses 12 and 17, you hear Jesus say, Behold, I am coming quickly, to which the Spirit and the bride, which is the church, say, Come. And then also in 2 Peter 3 and verse 12, Peter encourages you and I as disciples to look for and hasten the coming of the day of God. So certainly there is nothing wrong with including in your prayer that his kingdom would come, that Jesus would return, that you would be alert when he does because the Bible tells us that unto them that look for him will he appear a second time without sin unto salvation. So certainly there is nothing wrong with praying for the kingdom of God. In fact, when you look at how things are deteriorating in the world today, we do say, come Lord Jesus, deliver us from what is coming. But I have to be honest, seeing that the fulfillment of the future kingdom rests exclusively with the Father, I don't believe that that is primarily what Jesus was talking about when he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Maybe you always thought it was praying for his visible return, but I just don't see that. In fact, if there is anything we know from Scripture, it is that the second coming of Jesus Christ can become a major distraction to the church. It was to the early disciples. In Acts chapter 1, here is Jesus getting ready to ascend back to the Father after his resurrection. And the disciples are still looking at him and they're saying, Now is it time for you to establish your kingdom in Israel? They were waiting for that visible return. And Jesus looked at them and said, Would you stop worrying about the things that belong to God? He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has put in His own hand and His own power and His own authority. It's so sad that again, there were Christians worked up about the blood moon this past week. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Read your Bible. Don't buy books. Read the Bible. God's told you everything you need to know right there. And yet we just ignore it completely. He says, would you not worry about things that the Father has put in His own hand, in His own power and own authority? He says, you will receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He was saying, don't worry about the kingdom that is coming. You worry about the kingdom of God that is in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and you advance the kingdom of God until I come again in Jesus mighty name that 
is why I believe when he said, Thy kingdom come, he was talking about the kingdom that is here right now. The way that the kingdom is administered right now. And so the question here today, because we've already established that wherever Jesus is, that is his kingdom because he is the king. The question is not so much is he king here, The question is, is he king here? That's the real question. When you pray, thy kingdom come, you're not examining the the presence of his visible kingdom here on this earth. You're saying, Lord, is your kingdom here? Are you the king of my heart? When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come in Luke 17, 20, He answered and said to them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. It doesn't come in this visible, physical manner that you think it is. That's in the future, but that's not it right now. It's not coming with observation. Nor will they say, see here is the kingdom, or see there is the kingdom. Indeed, the kingdom of God is, say this with me, within you. If you have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God is not there. The kingdom of God is here. Your heart is the kingdom of God, or it is meant to be the kingdom of God. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, the primary thought, and again, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for the kingdom of God to come physically, But the primary thought on God's heart was, is his kingdom come in my heart? Is he the king? And am I doing his will on this earth as his will is being done in heaven? You know, that word come is is interesting. Uh, The Greeks had a lot more tenses than we do. And the tense of that word come in the original Greek carried the idea of having come, but continually coming. It had that same thought. So that as Jesus says, thy kingdom come, you could actually say it this way, and it would be accurate. May your kingdom come, and may it continue to keep coming. May it continually keep coming. May your kingdom come, and may it continue to come day after day after day. Maybe to help you understand it, some of you are aware of this. Remember when Jesus said, ask and you shall receive, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be opened unto you. Many of you know, if you've studied this out, that what that literally means is, ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. And that's the idea that's here when he says, thy kingdom come. When you pray, thy kingdom come, you're saying, may it come But may it continually come. May it ever grow in my heart, in my life. See, when we were saved, we gave King Jesus dominion over our heart, which is our will. I don't know if you know that, but the word kingdom comes from two words, king and dominion. And that's the idea here, is that when I am praying Thy kingdom come, I am saying when I get saved, Lord, you are the king and I give you dominion over my will. I now submit myself to you. You are king and you have dominion over my will, over my wants, over the direction of my life. And that happened at salvation, but the question is, is he still king today? Most of us keep Jesus king as long as it's convenient. But then once it is not convenient, he's no longer the king. He's king right now, but I want to know, is he king when you're having a bad day? He's king right now, but I want to know, is he king when the guy cuts you off in the, on 42 tomorrow? You know, I want to know if he's going to be king tomorrow when your wife just mistreats you or your husband mistreats you. Anyone can can have him be king when everything is going the way they want it to. But the moment that God requires of you to do something that you're uncomfortable with, is he still the king? And that's why he says, pray daily, your kingdom come, so that your will would be done in earth 
as it is in heaven. Wow. Another way to look at this is from Matthew 13. You don't have to turn there. But in Matthew 13, later in that chapter, he starts talking about the kingdom of God. And he says, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. And in that scripture, he actually talks about the kingdom of God being like wheat. Or the kingdom of God being like seed. Or the kingdom of God being like leaven or yeast. Do you know what those three have in common? They all grow and they all expand. They start out small, but they get really big. They spread, they expand. And what he is saying is, if the kingdom of God is in your heart, if his kingdom truly reigns within your heart, is it growing? Is it expanding? I'm just going to ask you today, if you call yourself a believer, is the kingdom of God growing in your life? Are you more passionate today about the kingdom purposes of the Lord than anything else in your life? Do you wake up every morning saying, God, there is nothing I want to do today that is not your will. Your kingdom come Do you wake up every day just saying, I can't wait to spend some time with God so that He can have rule in my heart and my will and that His kingdom may come through me in Jesus' mighty name. Because if you are a child of God, that kingdom never remains dormant. It grows, expands, it takes over your life. That's why you're a man of God, a woman of God, because you know you're consumed with the kingdom of God in your life. In Jesus' name. Come on, say amen around I don't know if you've noticed this, but as far as we are in this prayer, we haven't even entered into the picture yet. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We haven't even lifted up our personal requests yet. That's going to be next week. But we haven't even gotten there yet. And long before we ever offer up what we want, we're saying, God, what do you want? Your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What he's hoping is that by the time we do get around to praying for what we want, that our minds and our hearts will be so consumed and burning with the passion for God's kingdom that the only thing we will desire is for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. So that when God says, oh, by the way, was there anything you wanted? No, God, not at all. I just want your kingdom to come. I just want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, this is why you have to look at both of these requests together. You have to study, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven at the same time. Trust me, I wanted to divide them up because I have so much more that I want to say. But you can't divide them up. I'd rather say less and put it together. And the reason is because anyone can say, Jesus is my king. Anyone. In fact, I won't do it because I'm not going to make you lie. But if I were to ask you, is Jesus your king? Anybody can do that. But the evidence is are you doing his will? Because if you don't do the will of God, he's not the king. Come on, everybody. I mean, no, 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 you don't have to clap for that. I'm just trying to wake you up. I, that's just the reality. I can claim his kingdom authority in my life. But if I'm not doing his will... He's not king. I'm just mocking him. I'm not honoring his name again. See, there is a direct correlation between God's dominion in our lives, evidenced by submission to his will, and answered prayer. Understand that again. There is a direct correlation between God's dominion in our lives as evidenced by doing His will and answered prayer. In other words, I have no right to expect God to answer my prayer if I'm not obeying Him. I love the way you're shouting now. I have no right to believe that God will do anything in my life until I have relinquished control of my life and evidence it by declaring your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And it is tragic again today. The people that hold God responsible for not answering their prayer, but it has never clicked with them that before they ever asked, they never once were concerned about his kingdom and his will. I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to. You know, I'm bitter at God. I don't believe in God because I prayed for my grandmother. I prayed for my mom. I prayed for my dad, and it didn't come. And, and you just want to say to them, and most of the time when I get that, it's in a funeral, and, and that's just not the time to do it. But you, you know, want to say to them, you had no concern about God's kingdom and his will but you expected him to jump every time you said his name. And that's not just the unbelieving world. That's even in the church as well, where people, they they are not concerned about the kingdom of God. They're not concerned about the will of God, but they believe that every time they pray and say Jesus' name, that they should get what they want. Folks, if I am not submitted to his will, God will not hear my prayer. I want you just to listen to these scriptures, and I'm not going to make many comments on these following verses. I just want you to listen. This is what Jesus said. John 14 and verse 13. And whatever you ask, this is Jesus again, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Can I just tell you, God wants to answer prayer. It's not like God has to be convinced. He wants to answer prayer. How many dads are in the house today, okay? Raise your hand up if you're a dad. How many of you are good dads? Okay, just raise your hand. It's all right. You can raise it up. If you're a good dad, you want to answer your child's requests. Now, you can't always do it, but you always want to. There's a desire, and he does too. Why? Because whenever we ask in his name, and he does it, his name is glorified in the Son. God is glorified when he answers prayer. So God wants to answer prayer so that his name would be glorified, that more people would call upon his name. But he goes further in John 16 and verse 24. He says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, listen, that your joy may be full. God wants to answer prayer so that your joy will be full. And there is nothing more joyous than when you've requested something of God and he answered. He says, I want you to be full of joy. I want your joy to be complete. I want to answer your prayer. So turn to your neighbor and tell them God wants to answer prayer. Amen. How many of you would love for God to answer all of your prayers? Listen, there. can I tell you, I know this sounds funny, but if you pray properly and correctly, God will answer every one of your prayers. Every one. You say, no, 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 I've asked for things. Yeah, because you didn't ask the right way. If you ask the right way, God will always answer your prayer. I have had to accept that many of the prayers that have been unanswered was because I was asking the wrong thing or I did not approach God in the right way. Listen. The Bible says in John 15 and verse 7, this is Jesus speaking again, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. He says, yeah, you can ask me, but unless you're abiding in me, unless there is an intimate relationship growing and developing, unless my words are abiding in you and the word abiding in us is not just I memorize scripture, abiding in it means that it has become an intimate part of my life. It is how I live out my days. If you will abide in him and his words will abide in you, you will ask what you desire Because your desires will be to glorify him. And it shall be done for you. Now John, who was very intimate with Jesus, many years later would expound upon those words in a letter we know as 1 John. And in chapter 3 and verse 22, he says, And whatever we ask, we receive. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. What he says is, listen, if you keep the commandments of the Lord, if you obey, and if you do those things that are pleasing in his sight, whatever you ask, you're going to receive from him. Wow. 
He went on in 1 John 5 and verse number 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his what? According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. He said, you can have this absolute confidence in the Lord. If you ask anything according to his will, then he not only hears you, but you will have the petitions that you've asked. You see, the problem is, is that most of us could care less about his will. We want our will to be done. Come on, let's be honest. If we were to really examine our prayers, we're not saying thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're saying my kingdom come, my will be done. Wow. He says in John 7, verse 17, this is Jesus again speaking, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. If anyone wills to do his will, is your will to do his will? Could we look at your life today and see in every respect your will is to do his will? Could we look at your bank statement and could we see that your will is to do his will in how you spend your money? Could we look at how you spend the time that you have been given by God and say by looking at how you spend your time that your will is to do the will of the Lord? Could, could I go to your home and watch how husbands, you treat your wives and wives, how you treat your husband and say that your will is to do the will of the Father in heaven? See, it, We all want God to hear our prayers, but God says, I'm not going to answer selfish, self-centered prayers. I will answer prayers that are offered with my kingdom and my will in mind. That's the filter. God says, I want you to come and let your request be known to me. I don't want you to think you can't ask, but God put a filter before I ask. He says, you come into my presence, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that by the time you come to your personal request, it's always done in light of my will. Some people say, man, I, <laughs> I don't know what the will of God is. I mean, I, I'm trying to find the will of God. Can I just, this verse years ago, out of the Amplified Version, just changed the way that I looked at things. It's in Proverbs 16 and verse 3. And again, this is the amplified version, so it reads a little different. This is what it says. Roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to Him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to His will. And so shall your plans be established and succeed. You know what he just said there? He says, listen, when you come into my presence... Don't sit there and tell me all that you want because I know your plans and I know your dreams and I know your visions and all the things that you want to do. I know all that. So here's what I want you to do. When you come into my presence, I want you to roll it all over on me. I want you to give me your dreams and I want you to give me your plans and your desires and what you want to do and where you want to go. I want you to give it all to me and I just want you to pray my will to be done. And at some point, it's not going to happen overnight, but what he's saying is, over time of continually giving me your life, by my Holy Spirit, I'll cause your thoughts to become agreeable to my will. I'll begin to influence by the Holy Spirit your thoughts so that they are godly thoughts. And then when you pray, man, your plans will be established and they'll succeed and prosper wherever you go in Jesus' name. The reason that we get frustrated more often than not is because when we come into God's presence, we say, these are our plans, bless them. And God's like, are you kidding me? I'm not here to bless your life. I am here to advance my kingdom through your life. And I want you to be submitted to my purposes. And when you are, 
it will bring great blessing in Jesus' name. That's how we pray. Thy kingdom come. You know, when you read through this, you realize it's so much more than what we've made it. Because, you know, the old days, this is what we used to do, okay? And basically, this was taught. If you want to know the will of God, what you got to do is get yourself a concordance. And some of you don't even know what a concordance is. But a concordance, it's all online now, but a concordance was about that thick. It was, the most famous was Strong's Concordance. How many of you have ever had a Strong's Concordance? Okay, let me see it. About that thick, you needed to be strong to carry this thing, okay? It was, it was just really thick. A concordance has every word in the Bible listed in it, alphabetically, and it has right next to it every place that word shows up in the Bible, Old and New Testament. And so, you know, I could look up the word comfort and it would take me to every scripture that the word comfort is found in. And here's what we used to do. We would be going through a struggle and we would grab our concordance and we'd look up every verse on healing or we'd look up every verse on direction for our lives or every verse on marriage, every verse on money, every verse on temptation. And then what we would do is we would look at all of these verses, can I add this, outside of their context. And we would use God's word to formulate what we wanted to happen. And then we would go to God and we'd say, God, this Bible says you will do this and you got to do it. That's not faith, folks. That's manipulation. There is nothing that drove me more crazy when my kids were growing up than when they would take what I said out of context. And they would say, you said, and I said, yeah, that's what I said, but that's not what I meant. You're taking my words out of context. They were manipulating, and we do the same thing in church. We, we are notorious for taking promises that were made to people in the Bible and saying, no, it's for me. There are general promises, but there are promises that God made to David that are not for me. They were for David. And that's why we have to study the word of the Lord. To understand that context. We don't do that. When we pray, we come before the Lord. We say, Father in heaven, like we learn, Dad, Papa, I thank you for calling me a son. And I remember that you are in heaven and you see it all. You know what I want. You know what I want to do. You know what I want to say. You know where I want to go. You know that. But I want to make something very clear here before I even go in that direction. The day I met you, I made a choice to make you the king of my heart and for you to have dominion over my will. And so before I ask one thing, let's make it very clear. I have one prayer. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. And so that's what I leave you with today. Have you submitted yourself to the kingdom of God? And is your prayer, thy will be done on earth? He knows what you want to do. He knows that everybody's telling you to leave that man. He knows that you want to quit that job. But what you have to go before him and say is, thy will be done. This is not about me. This is about you and your name being glorified in my life. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In Jesus' name. You know what? Before I pray and dismiss, can you just take a moment and say, Lord, what are you saying to me right now? Because undoubtedly everyone in this room right now is facing something in their private life, in their family life, in their work. You're facing a decision and you know what you want to do. 
and you're finding a way to justify it. But down deep in your heart, you know what is pleasing the Lord. Just say, Lord, search my heart. Are you the king? Lord, are you really the king? Or is it just a title I've given you, but I'm actually the one calling the shots? Father, so many times when we, when we look at prayer, we do, we just treat it as just something we're obligated to do. But when we pray, we, we just throw up a few pleasantries and then make our requests known. But we've never just waited patiently there was a sense that your kingdom had come and that there was a burning passion within our heart that your will would be done in our earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we need to be we need to be monsters in prayer today. I mean, we just need to just thunder. And Lord, I, I confess that I am not where I need I just pray that all of us